Well, good morning, church. What a joy it is to be with you in worship today. I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And wherever you happen to be worshiping from, I want to personally express my gratitude that you've decided to join us today. I want to go ahead and encourage you to check in. Let us know you're here. And even more importantly, if there are specific things that you would like us to be praying for throughout the week, we have a team of dedicated folks who will be praying over those requests throughout the week. And if there are things that you need, please don't hesitate to reach out to us here at the church. So we are continuing in our series on your new life. We are talking about what it looks like following the resurrection to be invited into something that God is doing through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Come and see. Come and see. Whenever you're in an English class, there's usually a lesson on the different kinds of sentences we use when we talk to somebody or when we write to somebody. There's the declarative sentence that makes a statement. There's the interrogative, question, the interrogative sentence that raises a question. And then there's that ever so peculiar imperative sentence. A sentence like, come and see. Now, when we read or communicate with imperative sentences, there's often a temptation to read into it with some degree of harshness or something demanding. But when we hear something like, come and see, I don't know about you, but what I hear behind a statement like that is expectation, hope and even more importantly, invitation. Come and see is the central invitation that underscores Christian hospitality. It's the central question around which this idea of Christian hospitality pivots. In John's gospel, the word is on the street, literally and figuratively. Jesus is God's word made flesh the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People are talking about this guy and people are catching on to him quickly. John the Baptist has foretold Jesus's arrival onto the scene and no sooner do people see him, they start to follow him. First it's two, then it's a guy named Simon who soon receives the name of Peter the rock on whom God will build his church. And then we get to our next pair of fellows, which is where we pick up our reading today in John's gospel. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was born, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. It's as if up until this moment, the disciples have surrendered their livelihoods, surrendered their routines, 
without a moment's hesitation, they've dropped what they're doing to follow this guy. But then we get to this Nathaniel figure who we don't really hear much about otherwise in the gospels, who is like, Nazareth? Seriously? What could possibly be good that comes out of Nazareth? A genuine question? Maybe. A question that people like you and me might ask of somebody? Sure. A rhetorical question? For sure. I mean, Nazareth is this small tucked away hamlet on the outskirts of a place like Jerusalem the seat of the religious authorities, the seat of the power and the wealth, and of course, the site of the temple. But the skeptics in all of us don't often want to look for things of substance or essence in the places that our society has, in many ways, carelessly deemed insignificant. Most of us have certain places that we don't often consider or think to look. But who are we to discredit a place like Nazareth when our own Jerusalems, and we may think of these as places that we turn to for information, for something of substance, maybe for better or for worse. It might be people who come out of Ivy League institutions or who grow up and live in a place like Fairfax County or even the White House, but we know that these places also have their own share of flaws. So who are we to discredit a place like Nazareth, a small town on the outskirts? When I hear Nathaniel's question, I'm reminded of some of my colleagues who have arrived at their new church and they've preached their first sermon or maybe their first couple of sermons and some folks in the church come up to them and say, wow, I'm impressed. Uh, in your preaching for somebody who grew up in, you fill in the blank. Sometimes we are hesitant to look to places that society or culture have labeled insignificant. But what would it look like as Christians if we stopped seeing places in that way? I think of somebody like Jarena Lee. Jarena Lee holds a significant place in the history of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And not only that, she is one of the forerunners of women in pastoral ministry. Jarena Lee had experienced the transformative grace of God in her life. And not only that, she had been responding to a call God had called her to, a call to preach the gospel a call to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet when she went to the leaders in her church and shared with them about this call, they told her no. They deemed her voice insignificant. And not only that, but they invalidated her call and felt that she was more suited for the prayer committee. Jarena Lee was told that her voice was insignificant. We are grateful to have much of her writings from her journal. And here's some of what she had to say. She wrote, if the man may preach because the Savior died for him, why not the woman? 
seeing he died for her also. Is he not a whole savior instead of a half one? As those who hold it wrong for a woman to preach would seem to make it appear. Did not Mary first preach the risen savior? And is not the doctrine of the resurrection the very climax of Christianity? Hangs not all our hope on this as argued by St. Paul? Then did not Mary, a woman, preach the gospel? For she preached the resurrection of the crucified Son of God. Friends, what is unique about Christian hospitality is that no space or individual is insignificant. That's what's particular about Christian hospitality. No person or no place is deemed insignificant. Jarena Lee had to wait eight long and painful years of being told no before she was invited to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Think about that. Eight long, painful years. But our new life in Christ points to the beginning of a very defiance of all that has been labeled insignificant in our lives. Think about it. When we cultivate that Christian hospitality, we begin to see a defiance of all that we don't expect. Something as lowly as peace in a cattle trough and something as glorious that can be found on a criminal's cross. A defiance of what has previously been labeled insignificant. And so, when we come back to Nathaniel's question, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Our answer is a resounding yes, but the caveat is, are we convinced in our response to that question? Have we reconciled with the notion and the acknowledgement that when we cultivate Christian hospitality, we seek to understand rather than to make assumptions? Are we open to moving past our assumptions in order to seek to understand somebody's story, perhaps somebody who has been told that they are insignificant. Sure, there are many pitfalls when it comes to hospitality, even when it comes to what we might call Christian hospitality. But when we think about hospitality in the cultural sense, there's often this precedent that hospitality in the secular life is primarily aimed at pleasing people, primarily aimed at satisfying one's immediate needs. And if you think about it, it's often only reserved for a select group of people. You know, the VIP passes, you know, the people who always get to travel first class, right? People who have some degree of clout and privilege are often the ones who get that special treatment, that hospitality. But where Christian hospitality sets itself apart is that it moves us and doesn't just stay in this place of welcoming, ensuring that people are comfortable and that their needs are met, but it moves to a place of belonging. It moves to a place of 
let me go with you. Let me go with you. No sooner has Jesus ascended and the events of Pentecost have taken place, does he scatter the apostles to the ends of the earth, telling them to go and not only proclaim what they've witnessed, but what they've experienced as good news. One of those individuals that goes is Philip, and he's just come back from a place that society had once labeled insignificant, the place of Samaria, you know, the Samaritans. And he's rejoicing because they have received this good news. They have embraced it wholeheartedly. And then an angel of the Lord moves in Philip's life and points him to a place called Gaza, a place that the book of Acts describes as a wilderness road, a place less traveled. And here's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8. So he, being Philip, got up and went. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, before we continue in this reading, I want us to pause to consider what's at stake here. What's at play here in this story? You see, Philip is drawn to the place, to the site of somebody who is immediately noted for, distinguished, labeled by two physical descriptions. As an Ethiopian, he is a brown body. He is somebody with a darker skin color. As a eunuch, he is somebody whose sexuality has been taken advantage of for the sake of those in power. He has been dealt the hand of shame, so to speak. Two things that up until this moment in biblical scripture have been used to set apart or to other somebody. And yet, Philip is drawn to this man and we begin to see the nature of Christian hospitality unfolding as something that reminds us that the grace of God shows no preference for boundaries. And so let's pick up where we left off. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. And friends, what happens next is one of the most profound illustrations we have in our scripture of Christian hospitality. What we see in this story is a moment where Philip could have easily looked upon this situation. And keep in mind, it's important we remember that he was moved by the Spirit to go to this place. This was not his own choosing. But we begin to see that Philip doesn't treat the situation with disdain or fear, right? 
He's invited into this chariot and they begin reading the scriptures together. Philip doesn't tell the gentleman how to read from a place of superiority or privilege or as if he has more knowledge about this God. But they hear Isaiah describe the lamb led to the slaughter and they both begin to realize that it's the same Lord who is drawing them closer together. And friends, when we abide in the Christian life, we begin to see and cultivate a hospitality that is radical. I want you to underline that an extra time. Why is Christian hospitality as radical as it is? Well, I think we see it in this story. In response to the gentleman's curiosity, Philip doesn't respond with condescension, but he responds with humility. And in response to the gentleman's invitation, he doesn't respond with ignorance, but he responds with community. And as they both hear God's word read together, we begin to see an unfolding of a relationship that could only come about because of this new life we have in Christ Jesus. Up until the point where this gentleman raises the question, well, then what's to prevent me from being baptized? And in the church today, we might look at that question in this way. We might say, what's to prevent me from receiving the gift of God's grace? Are all who come into worship able to ask that same question? Think about it. Our new life in Christ challenges us to remove the veil, to remove the veil that inhibits us from seeing the neighbors that God calls us to love. It completely eradicates that veil, that barrier. Because what we begin to see is a God who is impartial. We begin to see a God whose grace is vast and expansive. It's never ending because the moment we start going through this new life, refusing to see the poor, refusing to acknowledge our neighbors or the stranger, refusing to see color, we begin to stray away from the hospitality that comes with the gospel's message of good news, of great joy for all people, for all whom God has called. And it's because in and through that communion we have through Christ Jesus, we begin to see the way that God can make whole and that God can redeem even the most fragmented aspects of our life together. Amen? I have a friend who many of you know and I've invited her today to come and share a little bit about her story of Christian hospitality. Some of you know very well Miss Bev Adams, our hospitality leader here at Christ Church, but I wanted to take the opportunity for you to hear a bit more about her story and what led her here. So Bev, thanks for being here. I'm grateful for our friendship. And I was hoping that you just start by sharing a little bit about what led you to Christ Church. 
Thank, Thank you, Pastor Ryan, for, for being, uh, I love being here this morning. So I came to Christ Church um, at a point in my life when um, I needed to be close, and Christ Church was the closest church. I was a caregiver for someone that was very ill, and um, I needed to be close to home, so that's why I came to Christ Church. And then how soon did you come on staff in the role that you currently hold? How did that all come about? Okay, so it was about five years um, from uh, the time that person died, and um, when they, they died, I first took the grief share here at Christ Church. Later, I co-led that and then led the grief share um, and got involved in Alpha. Alpha was the turning point. There was um, a very small group that was taking the grief share, but Alpha was that larger group. And I connected with that group and grew my faith through that. And so what is it about your role here that you love? What are some of the things you do throughout the week that draw you closer to this community? So I hope that none of you are surprised, but I love all of you. I love to see you come on Sunday morning. I love the staff here and the pastors. I love um, just being outside and welcoming you in, um, welcoming, you, welcoming you to God's house on Sunday morning. I love to see the children running up the stairway or um, up the sidewalk, uh, so anxious to get to their programming. And I love to connect with each one of you as a family. And I think that's what's beautiful about every Sunday is it's almost like you're welcoming everybody home again. They find comfort. And one of the things I imagine that you come across is you intersect with different people's stories. And I imagine there are stories that you've experienced that illustrate just what Christian hospitality should be. So, yes, I connect with you on Sunday morning and um, then on Tuesday during the week, I connect with your connection cards. Um, I look at the connection cards. I pray for all of you. I look at the names. I see your faces. Um, I connect with you as a family and um, as a person, as an individual, and just try and see where I might be able to connect you if you want to be connected. Do you have an example of maybe somebody who's grown closer in their relationship with the church because of the church's hospitality? Yes, I'd like to, I'd like to share this story. Um, so there was a funeral here at the church. Um, I believe it was about three years ago. Um, and this man um, was, had lost his wife. Um, he came to the church because of his daughter and his granddaughter. Later on, he continued to come. He continued to come early on Sunday morning so he could have coffee. He became an usher with us, and now you see him almost weekly, sometimes daily, working around our grounds, and he loves to be outside, so he loves being in, helping with the mulch, helping with um, making our church property so beautiful. Great. And that really shows that movement from feeling welcome to feeling like you belong 
here. Uh, one of the other things um, I wanted to ask you is, uh, how have you grown closer to God in your ministry here at the church? I've grown closer to God by growing closer to you. Um, my my life would be half the life that I have today if it weren't for each one of you. Um, I pray for you, as I said. Um, I get involved with your families. I just want to be part of you. God, the Holy Spirit, will give me nudges at certain time, and it will direct me in what you might want to do to grow your own faith. Amen. Last question. Uh, I know you're drawn to a particular character in scripture. You do mind sharing who that is and why? Okay. So um, Martha and Mary are part of my story. As I grew up, I would have been more like Martha running around, doing everything that needed to be done to prepare for a guest. Now I want to sit with Jesus. I want to be just near him, I want to know what he wants to tell me and what I might be able to tell him that he doesn't already know about you. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Bev, for being here. I know everybody would probably want to give you a great big hug right now, as do I, but I'm really appreciative of you making the time to share and allow people to hear more of your story. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Pastor so. Ryan. An incredible story and one that I hope many of us can all relate to. I want to turn as we begin to close to that story that Bev alluded to in scripture of Mary and Martha. You know, that story we often think about when we hear of them is only found in Luke's gospel, at least this particular part of their story. But let's hear it from Luke 10 together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, oftentimes when we hear this story, we are often inclined to present it as a dichotomy where there's sort of a greater action and a less greater action. And oftentimes when we think in that term, we think about Martha in this sort of negative light. But I want to challenge us because it's not so much about what Martha does. It's not so much about her actions, but it's about her attitude. It's about her posture when approaching this situation. Because what we see with Mary is that the posture of Christian hospitality is irrational. You may be thinking, well, why is Mary's posture irrational? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
It's nonsensical in a way, right? But it's pretty uncharacteristic of what many of us would probably do, right? Whenever we've hosted somebody in our home, there's often this tension we find ourselves in of wanting to be in the center where everything's happening, where everybody's talking. But at the same time, we want to make sure that nothing goes wrong, that nothing goes awry, and that there won't be a mess to clean up afterwards. But what if, church, what if we engaged in that irrational posture? A posture that counters worry and anxiety and fear. A posture that counters the sense of urgency that's often pressed against us by society. What would it look like if we adopted that irrational posture? Because when we start to think hospitality is more about what's convenient for us, we begin to forget that Christian hospitality embodies the humility of Christ. Christian hospitality embodies the humility of Christ. Think about what you are doing right now. We're apart from each other physically. We aren't here in person. We are taking extra precautions for our neighbor. And in many ways, we are engaging in one of the most irrational and radical outpourings of Christian hospitality. Think about that. Because this is not about what's convenient or not convenient for you or for me. But it's about humility. It's about love of neighbor. It's God calling us to be the church. Sure, it doesn't make sense a lot of the time. At times it feels irrational. But we are present. We are tending to the needs that God is calling us to each and every day. And so my challenge for you, church, this morning is to hone in on just how what you are doing right now is an immeasurable display of the humility of Christ with each action you take, with each thought you have, and every word you speak. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Most gracious and holy God, God who reminds us through individuals like Mary to be attentive to what you're calling us to do, to focus in on our love of neighbor and not just to welcome them, but to enter into their story, to ensure as Christ did that they feel as if they belong at your feet in that most intimate of spaces that is your church, a church that rejoices together, a church that leans onto one another when we are in times of crisis or times of grief. Christian hospitality is certainly unique. Our new life in Christ begins to walk this journey alongside of us where we realize that if we are open 
open to who you are pointing and directing us to, and that we are letting that veil fall from our eyes that often clouds that view. May we be so bold to live and abide in that call. Because each and every day, God, you are doing a new thing through us. And even in these times that may feel challenging and difficult, you are equipping us to engage in hospitality in radical and irrational ways each and every day. And God, we thank you for the gift of being able to be the church for such a time as this. God, all these things we ask in the name of the one who shows us and models for us what that hospitality looks like. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.